91.3 KXCI Tucson, Real People, Real Radio. Hello, Tucson. Thanks for joining us today on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This is Kathy Harris bringing you Broad Perspectives Radio, a program by women, about women, but for everyone. You can learn more on our Broad Perspectives Radio page at kxci.org. Unfortunately, my co-host Aspen Green is still not back with us today, but she will be back soon, I promise. I'm not just stringing you along. She'll be back soon. Meanwhile, we have the most exciting interview today. I can hardly believe she's really with us, but she is Amy Ray. And this is Amy Ray, of course, of the Indigo Girls, which is made up of Amy and Emily Salyers. But Amy also has a successful solo career, and that's why we're here today. She's released seven studio records and three live albums under her own name. And in 1990, I love this, she founded an independent record company, Damon Records, we love that because we all know we need more record companies run by women. Amy's coming to Tucson to do her solo show a week from Wednesday, January 31st, and it's going to be at 191 Tool, and we cannot wait. You will want to be there. Some of Amy's concert in Tucson will focus on her latest album called If It All Goes South, but she's going to be doing a lot of other good stuff too, including, she just informed me, some punk rock. So this is going to be a great show. Now, in the album, If It All Goes South, she sings about emotional and political themes, which we will be talking about. Amy Ray, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. Well, I can't tell you how delighted we are that you're here. And, you know, I can't help but think what a perfect musical life it must be to be part of that successful duo, such a successful duo as Indigo Girls, but also to have your own successful solo career where you can focus on just your own music. I'm sure that's not always easy to pull off. And I'm wondering... Did you plan to have this dual career or did it just happen as time went on? You know, it just happened. It's really more about wanting to experience different collaborations. I started uh, in that indie label in 1990 and was putting out records by punk rock bands that I loved that were friends of mine. And then I started jamming and kind of writing with different people. And, you know, 10 years after I started the label, I put my own record out just to like have fun and collaborate with artists that I loved and it turned into a thing because I just enjoyed the kind of the aspect of touring independently and you know driving around and playing clubs and playing with different people that I wanted to play with and you know I ended up in a country band uh, with six guys and which is what I'm doing now <laughs> and we've been together about 12 years and made three records and it's just I don't know it's really it's not about having a solo career as much as it is like experiencing other players and just everything that Emily and I do separate from each other comes back in, in ways that are in, impossible to quantify, you know, and we just, both of us do our own thing and kind of, it sort of just enriches everything else we do. How do you split your time between the Indigo Girls tours and your own tours? I mean, typically Indigo Girls comes first, you know, and, but I find gaps between things or, for this tour that I'm on, I'm actually touring with Dara Williams on the West mm -hmm. Coast. And it just, she came up and asked if, if this band that I'm in would open for her on the West Coast. And I just asked Emily if I could use that time. And then because we were already out this way and had driven out here, I thought it'd be great to just swing through the Southwest because we love playing, try to play Tucson, Santa Fe, and somewhere in Colorado and usually Phoenix. So 
for me, it was like, I always try to hook things together and make the most of my time. It is a juggle because I have a 10 year old and a partner who also has a career as a filmmaker. So basically I'm trying to like figure out how to stay home more, but also do a little bit of both, you know, my solo thing and then also Indigo Girls. And I'm just trying to figure it out. I mean, everybody, as you get older and your years look like they're shrinking, you just want to do everything because you want to fit it all in. You know, that's how I am anyway about life. I want to talk a little bit about your last album, If It All Goes South. In the current show, you're going to be playing a lot of that album. You're going to be playing a lot of other stuff, too, as you said. And we mentioned maybe some punk rock and some of yeah. the stuff from all of your other albums. There's not much that you don't do. But tell us about that album, If It All Goes South. What is that one about? Typically, my solo kind of country stuff is really influenced by just generally like the South as a landscape and as a culture and politically as a place of controversy and a lot of dynamics. And I'm from generations and generations of Southerners. So I have a strong attachment to the South and also the healing of the South and the ways that we can heal what we've done and help the whole country heal, you know, racism. And I think the South is poised to do that in a lot of ways because we've had that dialogue for so long. I was writing songs during the pandemic and really more informed by all the marches and the activism and, and I guess like reaching out, you know, through the isolation and just trying to write songs that deal with healing and looking at people's perspectives and stuff. And I found the South to be kind of an epicenter you know, of a lot of stuff going on politically, because unfortunately, Georgia is very controversial sometimes. But also we have people <laughs> like John Lewis and Stacey Abrams and, you know, all the and Jimmy Carter and Rosalind. And we've had a lot of really important activists here. So basically, the title is like, you know, if it all goes south, it's kind of a double entendre, like when everything goes to hell in a handbag, you know, I mean, just remember that we're all community and also if it if it all goes south, if south if the south becomes your the epicenter of things, just be glad you're there to do the work. That's that's it, you know, philosophically. But musically, my band and I had been doing some singles during the pandemic through email, just to in our home studios, just to kind of keep the thread going. And then I was writing because I was inspired by all the collaboration we were doing. So we ended up going into the studio and having seven new songs to record live to tape. And then we took the three singles we had put out that were digital and we reworked a couple of them and then transferred them to tape. And that was the record. And it was just, uh, we always record analog. We always record to tape. We usually record mostly live. And this record was, you know, even more special to me because we mixed it to tape and, you know, it never kind of entered into this other process as far as the seven songs that we started on tape. So for me, I'm kind of a nerd and I, I really like the, the, that side of things, you know, how you get it done. And yeah, and I should say my producer, Brian Spicer, has done all of our country records. And he works with the Dusky Trucks Band now as their engineer, and then live engineer, and then their in studio engineer, uh, Bobby Tease, does all of our mixing and engineering. So we're, we're kind of tied with the Tedeschi family in a, in a way. <laughs> it's a cool, broad community of a lot of people just helping to get the music to, to happen, really. Yeah, and on this album, you had some very impressive guests. You want to talk about a few of the people that you had on? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm a kid in a candy store, basically, <laughs> that I'm friends with, that I'm fans of, mostly. I, I just basically, when I'm writing, I'll be thinking of, like, 
ah, oh, this would sound so cool if like Brandy Carlisle could sing on it or, or, you know, Natalie Hemby would be perfect for this. And I don't think like, which guest do I need on this record? I just go song by song. And it's like, who is the collaborator who is kind of in a way, a catalyst or a muse for this song? Like Phil Cook, one of my good friends is a great gospel writer and singer and blues and R&B and roots music. And so when I wrote North Star, I couldn't get it to fit into the language I wanted uh, musically. So I like I called him and I said, can you help me rework this song to bring in the spiritual part that I'm looking for? Like Chuck Will's Widow was a different song when we put it out as a single. But then my friends, Sarah Jarrows was going to come in and play on the record. And then I said, well, can you get your group I'm with her? which is Sarah Watkins and Sarah Jarosz and Etho Donovan to rework this song for me. And I sent them the tracks and then they just did whatever they wanted. Uh, you know, I had, I had a cool gospel group come in. I had, you know, Sarah Jarosz, as I said, play mandolin on stuff and sing on the song, A Mighty Thing. Natalie Hemby came in. Brandy did a bunch of tracks for me for this song called Subway. I mean, I've had Vince Gill. I had him on a record in the past. Allison Brown, the incredible virtuoso banjo player, always plays in our band when we record. She's been in every band, every record. And then she tours with us every now and then as like a super special guest, you know? So she won't be with us on this show, but that's kind of, it's just like collaborations. It's like who's yeah. around. Well, let's listen to one of your songs from that album, If It All Goes South. We'd like to play Joy Train. Do you want to mm. say something specific about that? That song has Phil Cook playing some keys along with our keyboard player, Daniel Walker. We did this one live. It start, I started writing it when I was literally driving my kid around to get her to go to sleep when she was really young. <laughs> and I started writing it in my head. And then it became a song about, literally about like the civil rights movements and my heroes from the civil rights movements. And it's sort of like you can either spend your time because I was thinking my child was like trying to break out of her car seat. And I was like, that's like how we feel when we're so depressed and sad. And we're just like letting this be a cage to ourselves. But like all these great civil rights leaders the, in the face of the brutality and the oppression they were facing, were able to sing in this joyful way and give us these incredible like inspirational words and music and, and march and just, and set the, I guess they set the bar for me on like how to have joy in the face of, you know, such hard, hard work. So let's listen to Joy Train from the album If It All Goes South by Amy Ray. Stuck behind a chicken truck My baby's sleeping in the back Driving out the demons
miles to that Memphis jail. Sheriff filled me with a smile. Said I made a hundred trips. It's quiet. I'm bored right now. Miss Drew got down. Dancing with James Brown. She said, 63. KXCI Tucson, and you're listening to Broad Perspectives Radio, and we're continuing our interview with Amy Ray. You've always lived in the South. You're from Georgia. You're still there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think about moving somewhere else, thinking it might be easier? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but why? Why? Uh, (laughs) We're in the birthplace of the civil rights movement, And, and then the Native movement is a whole other thing, you know, which is... Like I could talk for years about that, but um, and I guess in other words, there's been great civil rights leaders everywhere. I think it's it's the cradle of the movement in some ways for me, and and it's just it's not why I stay, but it's something that keeps me realizing that when you're somewhere, you know, a good perspective is to be part of the solution, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, it's very different because I'm white skinned, you know, I, I live in a very conservative rural area, but it's not like I have to worry. It's, it'd be different if I was a person of color, I guess is what I'm saying. And I think like I have a certain amount of privilege too with the career and all that. And there's like a certain safety in that. And so I don't think like, oh, everybody needs to just stay where they are, you know, and work. <laughs> I think it's like if you can find a way to do the work and stay safe, 
exist in that space. I love my neighbors. I love the people that even feel differently from me. I believe in reaching across the lines. I, I grew up that way with conservative parents, and I learned a lot about dialogue and, and respect for each other. And so that's my, that's what I feel comfortable in. I don't want to be in a bubble where everybody agrees with each other all the time. It would be nice sometimes, certainly from the perspective of being queer. I just, I want to be somewhere where I feel like I can make a difference. I'm sure you do make a difference and it's very appreciated. You have a great perspective. I would like to talk for a minute about the upcoming documentary film about you and Emily called The Indigo Girls, It's Only Life After All. Now, it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year, and it's scheduled to be in theaters next month, I think, in February, I read. We have a date in Atlanta, probably like in March, I think, when it's going to be in some theaters. So I can't, I don't know the release schedule, but it's like a limited release around the country. And then it will move into streaming after that. So, yeah, it's a... I mean, this friend of ours, a producer and a filmmaker who had done the Tanya Tucker documentary with Brandy Carlisle, um, her name's Kathleen Horan, she introduced us to a filmmaker, Alexandria Bombach, who is a great director, and we were just lucky to meet her, and she wanted to do a film, she lives in Santa Fe, and she wanted to do a film about us, and we were like, well, can it focus on community, and just sort of the perspective of like that, instead of like just a biopic kind of cult of personality thing. And that's where she was at anyway, in her head. So we decided um, it'd be super cool. And it was a big honor to work with her. And it's really not, a, I mean, the film's about us, but it's about community and it's really about her vision, you know, and what she sees and, and the way she brought it to fruition. It's, you know, it's like, it's funny because when, when these kind of movies are made about the artist, the artist is not the one doing the work, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really the <laughs> filmmaker. So she did it and it's, we're proud to be part of it, you know, honestly, and we're glad it's coming out. Yeah. I just have to say that in Tucson, we got a preview of it a couple of months ago. A friend of ours, Bev Seconder, brought it in through her lesbian looks film series. So Aspen and I were lucky enough to see it and we, we just loved it. I mean, the filmmakers and the crew and the producers are really fun to be with. And that like the people around us were like, super fun, super creative. And it was years of filming and stuff like that. And then Alexandria, did, she did all the editing and she really like just did it alone in a room, <laughs> you know, for three years. <laughs> so I don't know if she wouldn't call it fun probably, but <laughs> it's painful to watch in some ways. I'm glad it's out there and it's important for us to document just the interaction with community and, and, and me and Emily's relationship with each other. And we didn't even understand the threads of our life in some ways. And, and seeing it gave us some insight, I think, because having her vision was interesting. I gave her a ton of archival footage, just like a ton, mm. and just said, it's all yours. Just go through it, do whatever you want. She picked out the, like John Blizzard, like the guy that really gave us our career in the, on the club scene in Atlanta. Mm. You know, not a lot of people know about him. And he was, he is the, he is the man that started the whole thing. And he was a gay man who died of AIDS and was crucial to our beginning. So like she understood all that, which made it good for us to review and understand ourselves, I think. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating, but kind of thread that went through it. And the one thing that I was really struck by is the relationship with you and Emily. 
you know, you've known, you've been doing music since you, together since you were in high school, since over 40 years now, and yet you still seem to truly be good friends. And, you know, you hear these stories about a lot of duos that after a while, they really don't like each other anymore. They don't even talk to each other anymore. How do you account for that, that you've been able to remain such good friends? Uh, I don't know. I mean, luck, family, <laughs> friends, you know, we grew up together in the same community and neighborhood and elementary school and high school and ended up at the same college. And when you share and our siblings all know each other, the people in your town keep you honest and your friends do. And that's kind of part of it. And part of it is like, we've had the same manager since we were 22. He's kept us honest and our bookie agent has. And, and then you give each other a ton of space. We're respectful of each other's art. I feel lucky to have Emily as a partner. I feel like she puts up with me <laughs> in ways that other people couldn't. So I'll just say that. <laughs> okay, that could account for a lot. <laughs> it could. <laughs> okay, well, let's listen to another one of the songs off your album, If It All Goes South. This one is called A Mighty Thing. What can you tell us about that? Well, Sarah Jarose uh, played mandolin on this and Allison Brown played banjo and then my band. And we recorded this live. Then Sarah came and sang some harmonies after that. She flew in from England from a tour she was on it was the last thing we recorded on the record. But I wrote this song. I, I was at a funeral for a friend's mom in my town, and it was at like a very fundamentalist kind of speaking in tongues, you know, vibrant church. And the, the preacher was incredibly like energetic. And at those kind of funerals, you know, they're also trying to do the double duty of saving everybody in the, in the Christian sense. And so <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. And, and he just kept saying, you know, you, you can't like you accept Jesus. This is all the things you'll get. And you can't you can't beat that deal. And he kept saying it over and over again. I was like, that's a that's a song like also about my wrestling with, you know, myself as a queer sort of gender dysphoric human growing up with no language for it in the church, you know, loving Jesus, but not understanding why that didn't make me feel better about myself, you know, and that's really what it's about. It's a gospel song from the left wing perspective, really. I love the words to this song. So let's give a listen to A Mighty Thing from the album If It All Goes South by Amy Ray.
Okay, that really is a great song. Unfortunately, you know, we're getting to the end of our show, but I have to ask you this. You've been doing this for over 40 years. If you had it to do over again, would you do anything differently? Uh, I'd probably like learn to play my instrument better. One of the things I regret is that when I was really young, I didn't practice enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm always playing catch up on my guitar playing. And um, I, I mean, really, that is a regret because I love playing lead and rocking out and all that. But I just don't, it takes me a long time to learn things. And I can't just like, stand, like Emily can just get up and, you know, improv with anybody and sing harmony to anything. And I just think like, oh, God, I should have practiced more. That's it. That's really it. I mean, I, I don't, you know, we've had, we, we've had a treasure of a, of a career and a life, you know, and it's not, and it's still going, you know, I mean, we got a tour with Amos Lee this summer and Melissa Etheridge and, you know, so fun to travel around with them. I feel like a 20 year old most of the time. <laughs> it's, it does sound like a great life and you sound like every other musician. I know I should have practiced the piano more when I was growing up. <laughs> Okay, well, what's in the future for you? You have any new music coming or other projects going on we should know about? Uh, Emily and I have another movie called Glitter and Doom. It's kind of a jukebox musical. It's very fantastical and circusy, I guess is the best way to put it. But it's based on the story uses all of our music to, and the two men in it sing. and But the songs are kind of mashed up and twisted around and they put like different songs with different songs and it's really interesting. Like the music is super interesting and that's coming out this spring too. So it's called glitter and doom. And then, as I said, we got a summer tour with Amos Lee on the West coast and Melissa Etheridge on the East coast, you know, to see what happens. And Emily's working on a couple of musicals herself, like uh, Broadway type things. Um, so that's what's going on. Unfortunately, that's about all the time we have for today. But Amy Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your music. And we're really looking forward to your show, which is a week from Wednesday, January 30th at 191 Tool. To our audience out there, you can get tickets now on the Rialto Theater website, and I would get them now. You don't want to wait until it's sold out, which is very likely to be. This is a special concert by a very special musician. And you've been listening to 91.3 KXCI Broad Perspectives Radio. This is Kathy Harris, and you can find out more on our Broad Perspectives Radio page at kxci.org. But right now, don't go away, because next up, we have Boom Goddess Radio with Jennifer Davis Page. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you next week.